0: Hello, my lovely listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. We're going to be talking about something that I have a personal experience with, and that is burnout. And I am absolutely delighted to bring to you my guest today. She is Dr. Mary Sanders. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you, Clarissa. It's my honor to be here. So thank you so much. Well, lovely. So before we dive into a good meaty conversation around burnout, let me just introduce Dr. Mary to you. She is 25 years experience in self-employed business, and she's been a consultant 15 years ago. She, like many of us, experienced burnout really firsthand. And I'm sure we're going to hear a bit more about that journey from, from Mary. But that also took her to a new direction in life. She has a doctorate in chiropractic. She has a certificate in positive psychology and a master's in intuitive, intuition medicine. Now that I know very little about, but I'm excited to learn more. She's really bringing her knowledge and the tools that come from all those modalities to helping women who want to transform the way they show up in the world so i think that's going to be relevant to so many of you so mary maybe you'd love to start by sharing just a little bit about your own story um (laughs) where you were in the burnout journey Sure. And
1: Clarissa, before I get started, I just have to sing your praises as well. Um, Knowing everything that you have applied with your neuroscience background to assisting women in transition and being able to maximize their mindset for a positive outcome, I just want to say thank you for how you're showing up and applying your strengths in the world. So much gratitude to you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate
1: that. And before I get started in sharing my story about burnout, I want to say that I am of a mindset in which I view every life experience and have a nugget. I I look for that golden nugget that I can play forward, that I can learn from and grow from. So when I share my story about burnout, I don't want to take a victimized standpoint, although in order to emphasize the point of that of that tumultuous transition that I was experiencing, it may sound a little more negative than what I intend it to be. So forgive me for that. Yeah. And Clarissa, I know... Almost all of your listeners are going to be able to relate to burnout on some level. The prevalence of burnout today in, in 2022, we can know that depending upon what researcher you look at, it can be anywhere from 42 to 50% of people are experiencing burnout at some point in time. It's prevalent. It's huge. And, and, and if you if you think that you're experiencing burnout, listeners, please know that you are not alone. For me, um, burnout took kind of an insidious onset. It crept up on me as I was climbing whatever ladder I perceived to be the vision of success. Um, and again, this is a belief system that gets ingrained, ingrained within all of us at very young age, depending upon our remote role models and our culture and our upbringing. So for me, it showed up um, after I had been self-employed for let's say fifteen years. It was right about um, when I was right before forty, and what I started to experience physically was that I was completely flatlined. I was experiencing adrenal exhaustion. And what that meant was I woke up tired and I went to bed tired. And I literally was um, experiencing a lot of physical inflammation within my body. I know that my joints and my gut were inflamed and that my endocrine system was beginning to fail me. So I was starting to notice the hormonal effects as well wow. and those were just the physical signs and then you know from an emotional standpoint my burnout story encompassed a lot of frustration and isolation because I was wired on the path to success to, con- to continue going 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 and then what I realized is, was that I was not happy So consequently, I had to readdress what my outset and my mindset was in order to physically, emotionally, and behaviorally change the outcome. So for me at that time, it literally was the decision to leave my practices and my consulting and move to the other side of the world to Vietnam with my husband. So that was my radical shift that said, enough, I'm done. (laughs) that's huge (laughs) yeah it was huge at the moment
0: yeah really really huge I mean and and I'm sure the listeners will be going yeah in some way I, I can relate to this but but what is the clinical definition of burnout because we see that term used quite widely in social media but but Mary what is it that we're talking about here Yeah,
1: Clarissa, I appreciate you asking that question because it is emotionally loaded. And so when we are heightened in an emotionally heightened sense, then we have a hard time looking at things uh, clinically. And so I utilize the Maslox Burnout Inventory, and this is a researcher who has done years and years of research about what the clinical definition of burnout looks like. And what I like about it is that there's three components that she tests individually, and the first one is just looking at the emotional exhaustion of an individual, and she scores that first and foremost. And then she comes along with the second paradigm and measures cynicism, which essentially is distrusting or pessimistic activity for the organization that you work with. And then last but not least, she looks at the the efficacy of how a person views their position within an organization or within a business, if you will. So combine all of those three things separately and then together is how you get to define the clinical definition of burnout.
0: Yeah, so it it really isn't like, oh, I'm really tired. I need to go on a retreat because I think sometimes we're in this, oh, take some time out, do some yoga. But it really is deeply emotional state, isn't it? Frustration, um, even anger, we are unable to to function. And we're mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. cynical. That bit I remember. I remember being negative about everything and everybody. Mm-hmm. And
1: unfortunately, um, that's what creates those sideways emotions that's what creates you know the out the unleashing on people and the verbal abuse and all the things that happen in the negative self-talk that gets turned inward that affects yeah. self-esteem worthiness and mm-hmm. questioning whether or not
0: that you're even good at your job yes of course because yeah yeah you're turning yeah you are you turn that on on yourself and you really start to go well i can't do this i'm rubbish and yeah oh boy it's a really vicious downward spiral isn't it
1: It is. It is. And so when you can look at these three individual components as a single identifiable component of burnout, then if one score is, you know, lower than the others, then if you focus your attention on that one area, then you can affect the overall outlook for burnout. So I like that about the the mass locker burnout inventory.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you talked a little bit about this going to bed tired, waking up tired. So there are really some strong physical dimensions to burnout at, at this kind of level as well, aren't there?
1: Yeah, and I can say that it looks like I'll share my own personal experience and perhaps, just perhaps, there might be a listener or two that can relate. But I can remember thinking that if I was at the stage of burnout that I was, if I was organized my life a little bit tighter. If I delegated, if I got up a little bit earlier, just maybe I could get through my my list of, of items to complete. So I would get up at the crack of dawn so that I could go into exercise so that I could be complete and showered and ready to be in my practice by 7 a.m., and my alarm would go off at 4.30 in the morning. And I swear, if I could have had a a tube going from my coffee machine right into my intravenously sleep just to get me going in the morning, I would have done it. So my caffeine was my get up and go so that I could literally go and exercise, which was supposed to be helping my stress. So, But what I found is that that began to play havoc, wreak havoc on my adrenal system. Yeah. So then I would do my practice. I would treat patients and then right at about one o'clock, I would have time for lunch. I would eat my lunch behind my computer. And then inevitably, I would need a little bit of sugar in the afternoon to get me going again. And then I would treat my afternoon patients and then I would be done at about like seven o'clock. And by then it was dark out. So then I would go home, it would be dark out, and I wouldn't want to, I had an ounce, not an ounce of energy left. I didn't want to cook, I didn't want to prepare anything, so I would grab whatever was convenient to a step, stop at a restaurant, and then it became the cycle of winding down the day with wine in order to bring my central nervous system down so that I could go to bed. And so then I would get the same cycle every day. I'd wake up at 4.30 in the morning, start off with caffeine, have my sugar, have my alcohol. And it just became a vicious circle, a cycle that I had a hard
0: time breaking. My goodness. And and I, yes, I think that so many people can relate to that. I hear that from my clients. And certainly there were elements of that in my life, although I wasn't up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> I certainly recognize what I call desk dining while you sort of shovel in whatever you've found watching your computer. You never give yourself a break, a a wind down. It's like you're on this conveyor belt and it's just go, go, go.
1: It's unfortunate, but that's true. And that's what most of our societies ingrain with us. The more you do, the more productive you are, the more productive you are, the more valuable you are in contributing to the society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and do you see a difference between women who are burnt out towards if you've ever worked with men? I mean, how is or is there a difference? Um, I believe that there is. I do
1: believe that women have this uh, personification that they've accepted and that not only are they to be contributing and contributors within the professional workforce, they then carry the bulk of the responsibilities when it comes to the family as well. And so not only their immediate family with their children and their spouse, but also their aging parents. And so you've got compounding layer after layer that adds to burnout. And burnout doesn't always have to be professionally oriented. It can be just the the, the personal aspects that, that one is undergoing. So I think that the the weight that women feel as far as burnout, I think that there is a heightened awareness so than men. And I'm not saying that men don't experience burnout because they do. They fall victim of the same cycles that we do. It just seems as though as women, we have subconsciously accepted more responsibilities.
0: Yeah. And I think that's actually becoming more evident as we look at the number of unpaid work hours that women do in addition to holding down corporate roles where we're working like men, we're then coming home. And I think the figure was between three to six hours of unpaid work after we've been to work. Every single day, which, of course, is absolutely shattering because then we are talking about women working somewhere between sort of 11 to 18 hours a day. And I certainly have had um, some senior female clients who do crazy stuff like, you know, iron iron in the middle of the night. and, And you're saying, well, why are you doing that? And they're like, well, because I have to do it. And they're certainly not financially requiring to do that is sort of like that's their behavior that is is driving them, and the expectations that they think others have of them
1: and possibly they learned it from their mothers of course <laughs>
0: of, <laughs> of course Yeah, you know, i think i was saying that to somebody else the other day i said um one of my key questions you know you ask people is um when when did your mother or what did your mother do to take care of herself how did she practice that? Did you see her sitting down and resting? And so many of us would probably shake our heads, Mary, wouldn't we? And we go, No, no <laughs> never happened. No, never happened. I can't well, my mother wasn't very well when I was a girl, but she when she was, I don't remember her sitting down <laughs> and being my totally mother was still. Constantly on the go.
1: Constantly
0: yeah. on the go. Yeah. So obviously something changed and you hit rock bottom, but how did you really begin to turn that around in your own life, Mary?
1: Sure. Clarissa, I'll be the first one to admit that by the time that I landed in Vietnam, which was essentially the other side of the world for me coming from the United States, I went through a huge identity crisis. I really um, had no idea who I was, what I stood for, why I was on this planet, what my purpose was. And I was extremely uncomfortable emotionally and physically. I just didn't know how to settle in. And so my go-to was to kind of run away. So I ran away to Bali, Indonesia to finish up my uh, yoga teacher's training certification. And so I spent a month down there trying to kind of figure out who I was. And I didn't come up with any answers. But what happened to me during that month is that I started my meditation journey. Mm -hmm. So even though I was there to complete my yoga certification, which I did, and I still practice yoga, I don't teach. But what more importantly was the habitual routine of getting meditation into my daily practice. And so I took that practice, I came back to Vietnam, and for the first time in my life, I had time, so I was able to spend time every day meditating, and I started to witness some really amazing shifts happening, and I was beginning to, like, question, like, Wow, I know the body as a chiropractor. I knew the body extremely well from the neck on down with the central nervous system, with the autonomic nervous system, peripheral nervous system. But what I was starting to realize that there was a lot of activity that was happening from the neck on up that included the activity of the brain and how was the meditation so powerful when it came to what the way I was thinking, the what I or how I was thinking, my belief systems, my overall disposition. And it was it was within all of this transition that I decided that I wanted to go back and to do additional training with Talbin Shahar in positive psychology because I really wanted to understand the neuroscience of meditation, which you can appreciate.
0: Yes, yes. And I think that we are beginning to see that, aren't we, Mary? That there, it's very profound changes in the brain. But maybe from your learning, what did you learn and, and how do you apply that at neuroscience within the way you work today? Sure. There's
1: two things that I would comment. Number one, I never realized um, intellectually how um, plastic our brain is how we are able to remodel our belief systems. Like I Mm -hmm. never understood the science behind that. And so from a neuroplasticity, I think is a really, you know, that's a fancy word for being able to say Mm -hmm. that we can indeed retrain our brain, even though we may have really deep rooted neuroplastic uh, pathways within our brain, we can change those pathways to have a different outcome. So, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, So we were talking before we got on the <laughs> yep. call today. So I know, I know, you know, and can empower, you empower your women on tools on how to do yes. this. That was the first thing that I learned. And then I started to really understand my monkey mind a little bit better. I started to understand, you know, how the brain works, you know, in, in running and organizing thoughts in our daily lives to then shifting into a task positive network. And then finally through meditation, I found, you know, the default mode network where I could really find this space within my thoughts in order to allow the central nervous system to reorganize and to re-regulate itself. Yeah. So those were two really life-changing ahas that I experienced as the result of studying the neuroscience behind the meditation.
0: Yeah, and I think they're hugely powerful, as you said, You know, recognizing that brains are plastic and that our habits, however ingrained, are not as fixed and solid as we think they are. We can definitely build these new pathways in our brain that serve us much better, but we have to work at it.
1: Absolutely. Time and repetition and pure and positive intention
0: behind it as well. Absolutely. And then this crazy monkey mind, <laughs> which, you know, but I love that you said that was task positive because Sometimes people will say, "Oh, it's like ruts of random thoughts," but they're not, are they?
2: Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
0: No. So a lot of the thoughts, when our mind is whirling, they're they're doing things like saying, "I'm ring my friend," or "Better check out that," or the to-do list for tomorrow. So, you know, to listeners, if you're sitting there and you're practice trying to practice meditation, and your mind is trying to do that, it's not doing that randomly it's actually trying to pull you back on task have I got that right Mary
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and I love the I love knowing that I
1: have the ability and I'm going to use the word control um, but to control my thoughts and to tap into a little bit more space I again I think acknowledgement is huge acknowledging where your thoughts take you and what the topic is setting it aside and then coming back to or at least striving to be in a place of meditation and stillness. And that's not always the goal, but
0: yeah. Now that's an important point as well, that it isn't all your goal in meditating isn't always to be still and calm. I think that's a bit of a misnomer that goes on social media, isn't it? You know, you're trying Mm -hmm. to be calm, but actually sometimes you're actually trying to energize or you're trying to, you know, create a little space between you and your your thoughts. And you may not be that calm, but you may still be clear in your mind.
1: And it's for me within that space, that magical space, is where my intuition comes from. Yeah, and so that's what li- that's what led me into better understanding intuition and understanding the electromagnetic current that runs within us and surrounds all of us to better understand above and beyond the five traditional senses for information. So I think intuition is within and within all of us, and we all have access to
2: it.
0: Yeah but but we have to be a little um more deliberate or, or in some way quieter to, in order to find it true yeah but Tell me a little bit more about intuition and energy medicine because we it's popular conversation. But what really is energy medicine, and how does it work?
1: Sure. And before I answer that question, I I have to share with you Clarissa that I do find it's part of my personal mission. Quite honestly, it took me a while to own this, but I come from a big I come from a science background. Anatomy, physiology, neurology, that's my background. And I am, my purpose in life is to take the physical sciences as we have seen proven to date and to bridge, to cross that bridge into some of the science that is yet to be proven. We we see a lot of theories that are coming together and there's been some hypothesis, but yet there's not the hard physical science behind it. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to intuition medicine and energy medicine, my desire is to link the physical body, which has been proven, right, with all the various different sciences with the energetic body, which is on the, was in the beginning phases of being researched and better understood. So if we didn't acknowledge energy medicine, perhaps we would have a hard time accepting the ancient wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine or some of the techniques that have been around for years and years and years and years. Um, I'm the kind of person that if I can see the hardcore science, it makes it easier to digest. However, I don't discredit my own personal experience when it comes to assimilating information. So energy medicine is essentially um, the practice of entraining an energy system between myself and another person or client and holding that frequency in order to be able to intuit information about their physical body. So I firmly believe and know that there is a connection between the energy system, the major chakras, and the endocrine system that governs over our body. And the endocrine system essentially is responsible for the production of all of our hormonal regulation. So I know that there is an electromagnetic current that travels through us that interacts with the organs that interacts with the cells and the space within the cells, so that we can then deliver the information into the central nervous system and back up to our main computer, the brain. So... I have had so much fun supporting uh, individuals across the world in doing energy medicine and intuition medicine. So um, that in a nutshell, I address the electromagnetic currents and as it relates to the physical body.
0: Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I mean, so it's very powerful, energy medicine, and you, you did touch on there that it's a very traditional way to work. It's part of yoga. You're a yoga teacher. I'm about to qualify in medical Qigong. And, of course, we think of that as being moving slowly. But, of course, it's an energy system too. Everything is about the the energy and laying hands and and Reiki and Chinese versions of Reiki, which are energy systems. They have been around for thousands of years as a way to... Uh, heal and balance people
1: Mm -hmm. and i have no doubt that you've had personal experiences that you can relate to others about how you can cultivate build yeah. possibly even manipulate or direct and to send energy mm-hmm. and it's as real as you know as real as the wall it's 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 as dense and it's a power palpable as something that you can tangibly pick up it's really very remarkable
0: yeah definitely and i think you do practices and you can feel it th- For me, I feel it more in the qigong or tai chi practices, but other people can feel it in their yoga practices. You certainly, if you've ever had Reiki, uh, you feel that energy. I mean, you can feel something between, a field between you and the other person and a shift on a physical and an emotional level that is very profound. I call it
1: magical and wonderful. And very organic.
0: Yes. And how does that help a person in burnout, Mary? How does Mm -hmm. energy medicine fit into that um, rehab?
1: Well, there's a couple. And I love this question because it leads me into better explaining the seven major chakra systems within the physical body. And my personal experience when I'm dealing with women that have experienced burnout, there's um, really three major... Actually, I can't say that there's not an energy system that's not affected, but I will say that the first chakra, which has to do with survival and security, many times because of the distrust and the cynicism, many of these women have um, malfunctioning first chakras. So they have a hard time grounding down into Mother Earth and trusting that everything is going to be okay. Yeah. So that's the first system that I see involved in, I can go through and, in, and as I mentioned, each chakra is affected differently, but uh, specifically in the second chakra, this I see almost in 100% of the women, and that is, this is a very sentient energy system within the space of the pelvis, just below the belly yeah. button. Yes. Yeah. And is a, an energy space in which we hold other people's emotions. So, as we find our responsibilities as women taking on the professional world and our personal world and our in our family as well, we hold other people's energy system to to care for them. That's the intention, but ultimately it robs us of our own life force energy. So that's the second system that I typically yes. see. So you can see how burnout would kind of creep into the energy systems and depletes our ability to ground, depletes our ability to run life force energy and to connect in with the kundalini energy as well.
0: Yes. And, and, And I would maybe ask a question. I mean, if women who are listening to this, who are often going through very profound, changes in that part of their body menopause is obviously you know the end of our ovulatory life and you know the womb in some ways is is still present but it's different I mean obviously we're not shedding blood but you know we have a whole new a whole new purpose for that it's not surprising if we have blockages there that we Mm -hmm. experience some challenges too in in this time of life
1: it's very evident, and it um, most women are not aware of how much energy that they are giving away to other people. So it's always a joy to see them reclaim their own energy—that that's their energy to be able to cultivate as they see fit. And so to see a woman light up in more of her life force energy—that's makes
0: my. That's why I do my work. And okay. I'm sure that's why you do your work as well. Of course, we see very profound shifts when we stop giving away our energy, and as you said, it's very as you said, it's very, very related to our sort of lower chakras, isn't it? Yes, and it you, is yeah, and you mentioned a third chakra, which one would with of the seven is that? You know, I would
1: say if I had to pick, I would say it was the fourth chakra. And um, many people know that that's the heart space. And they immediately think, well, that's all about love, and which it is. It's love and compassion, but on not only love and compassion for other people, but more importantly, love and compassion for oneself. And I believe that as women, we lose some of that compassion as we age because there's an underlining frequency of perfectionism um, because we have made life choices throughout the years and some of them have been good choices and some of them perhaps not so good Mm -hmm. choices. So coupled in that is self-forgiveness along with perfectionism Mm -hmm. and self-love. So that's that's another really tender and vulnerable energy spot for women that are experiencing burnout.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that because self-love and self-compassion go out the window when we're so busy giving out. Isn't that right, Mary? We're giving, 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 and there's nothing left. That's true. Mm -hmm. I think it's
1: hugely unfortunate and very sad, quite honestly.
0: Yeah. But energy medicine can help us to reconnect back into those.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the the beauty of that, isn't it? I mean, and and how do you practice that? Are you practicing that through the intuitive medicine? Is that very similar to a sort of laying hand, well, Reiki type healing? Yeah.
1: Very, very similar to Reiki. It's just that it's done remotely and Uh so obviously energy can traverse time and space and if you are able to hold a frequency with the intention of serving the other person to their highest good then that can help facilitate and their spirit just lead the healing journey and we we get to be witness sacred witness to the entire process which is beautiful
0: yeah, that is beautiful, and I and I think you said what's profound there is that we often think of energy as being, you know, it's just in the moment and physically close, but it actually is is can travel, as you said, it's not bounded by our understanding or concepts of time. No, that's what mm. gets us.
1: stretch our mind a little bit this is where new neurological pathways get to be ingrained
0: indeed i know my teacher says that when he he records the chicken practices he said well even if you watch it much later the energy that's you're here because you're the energy you need is here in this class and you're drawn to this particular class and you will gain the energy of this of this practice when you need it Absolutely, the transmission will be there. Yeah, indeed. So I think that really opens up the way we can use this, doesn't it, in our modern world and let more people access it than having to have someone physically close to us.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I believe, quite honestly, Clarissa, that from an evolutionary standpoint, I believe that that's the next step for medicine.
0: Yeah. That's quite a big gap, isn't it, for today to bridge between you know, where we are in current medicine and where maybe ancient and new understanding is coming together, what needs to happen for that gap to be bridged? Hmm. I think that that boils
1: down to education and experience. And I do believe that with functional medicine, the way that it is today and the integrative approaches where we are starting to hear and to sense that physicians are talking about the mind, body and spirit, that the spirit component, if really been embraced experientially and researched so that you can uh, educate people about the process, I think that that will be the next turning point for medicine yeah
0: very interesting that I think that we are beginning to see if we like scientific evidence in the way that scientists accept it uh, being uh, put together for for yoga for uh, acupuncture which is obviously energy medicine for for Ayurvedic practices. And suddenly we're seeing this bank of Western evidence that is kind of accepted, is building up. And people saying, well, women who practiced, had energy medicine or women who had acupuncture are seeing X, Y, Z improve in their lives. And so, yeah, I think that it starts there, but I think it can really grow, can't it? Or at least I hope it can.
1: (laughs) I'm holding space for that.
0: That's really good for that. And are there any other, you know, important tools that you work with or aspects of your training that you bring to help people within um, your practice for burnout? I think you mentioned something yeah. about biomarkers.
1: Yeah, I, when I approach burnout, I want it to be from a very integrative and functional standpoint. And when I um, assess a female going through burnout, many times I offer up the idea of doing additional blood panels so that we can see what is happening internally within the system to help support the energy medicine, to help support the meditation practice as well. And when we do these um, functional blood chemistry analysis, we look at various different biomarkers specifically that are being produced by the adrenal system to see if, you know, to measure uh, before and after, to measure the balance of some of these endocrine hormones, that we can actually measure. And I think that that provides um, a couple of different benefits, Clarissa. And, and one is the benefit that this is a provable and reproducible system that we can test before and after. And that blood panels have been around for years, but we're taking a more a more narrow margin as to looking at what normality really is. What normal is for you, Clarissa, may not be normal for what I am or for for another female. So we're starting to narrow it down and the functional blood chemistry analysis kind of gives me that physical component of treating burnout.
0: That's wonderful. And are there any particular biomarkers that you look for?
1: Well, I look closely at DHEA. I look closely at cortisol. I look at some of the gut microbiomes. I also look at thyroid panels. I want to know how people are sleeping, looking at... um uh, melatonin and things of that nature. So there's a yeah. there's a wide a variety to answer your question.
0: Yeah, but so some really key markers that I'm sure my listeners will have heard beyond cortisol. I think there's an increased conversation on DHEA, which of course is a very important precursor for uh, essential uh, hormones uh, in the body, such as testosterone and and estrogen and of course yeah you are correct melatonin and an interesting you've had microbiomes in there i think we're learning more and more about the various microbiome systems in the body and how critical they are closely
1: it's related to the brain as well the gut brain barrier
0: oh gosh yeah totally you know i think this is becoming maybe one of our biggest new areas of science yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing more and more research to solidify it. Indeed. So Mary, you know, if you had someone come to you who is probably experiencing burnout, thinks they're there, what are the top three things you might recommend to them that they start to consider, change, um, work with? Yeah. I
1: know it's challenging as, as you've experienced people get ingrained within their belief system. But essentially, I, I do feel strongly about meditation being one of the top skills that I would hold space for a woman to embrace. And then um, to regulate sleep would be the second thing. And then the third thing would possibly be to um, learn how to say no. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a hard one. But yes, I mean, all of these on the surface sound, you know, so obvious and so easy, but they are really quite challenging, aren't they?
1: They are. They are. And I, I, you know, you hear people kind of joke about, you know, you need to be meditating a good 20 minutes a day. But if you say that you're not, if you say that you don't have enough time to meditate, then you should be meditating at least 30 minutes a day. <laughs> so you're the person that needs it the most. Um, But it's, it's, Uh, Again, how we, as we culturally look at productivity and quite honestly, meditation, my meditation practice is probably the most productive part of my day.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So definitely making time, even if it's what, five minutes, 10 minutes. Whatever you can get. Exactly.
1: Even if it's just
0: connecting with the breath. That's true. Even if it's one minute, right? Or a few a few seconds. Yeah, definitely. And sleep. Yes. Well, I think we all know that that can be very challenging for midlife women, but very important. And I love that last one. Learn to say no. <laughs> yeah. No is a, a complete sentence in my book. It is, but it's so challenging.
2: Because and, and,
1: and I say that, and it sounded flippant, but it came from a place of self-compassion and compassion for others. So be gentle with yourself as you're learning how to express um, your boundaries.
0: Yeah, very, very true. And, and learning to say no is not easy when you've had a lifetime of saying yes, and you're afraid how others will judge you mm-hmm. when you turn around and say no. So there are definitely some ways, aren't there, Mary, that we can learn to say no.
1: Yeah, when you're accustomed to saying, sure, no problem, got it, done,
0: considered done. <laughs> yeah, it's one used to say, if you want something done, ask a busy woman. But I think the answer is that doesn't serve the woman. No.
1: no, no.
0: That's such a beautiful conversation and touching around some of the aspects that you're working with on supporting women who are in the all too common space of burnout. But Mary how can people find out more about your work and and connect with you?
1: Yes. um, Clarissa, my website, uh, which is www.drmarysanders is a live website. So, on there you'll find a plethora of offering offerings. There are free activities that I offer on a monthly basis during guided meditation. There are group classes there are retreats there are five month programs. There are all sorts of things that offerings that are on the website. And of course, there's always an opportunity to connect one-on-one uh, for a discovery call. So if you're uncertain as to which offering is best suited for you, then let's talk about it. Let's dialogue about what your expectations, what your needs are. And maybe I'm the person, maybe I'm not the person. And if I'm not the person, then I'll help facilitate that connection with another person. Huh. So that's the first place on um, my my website www.drmarysanders and all of my social media um which I do weekly videos um educational videos I can be found at Instagram Facebook Pinterest YouTube is at sanders.
0: Beautiful. Well, Thank Mary, you. we are going to put all of that in the show notes. So people can check that out, learn from you. And if it's, you know, the right, they can connect with you and and find out how they can work with you further. It's been a pleasure talking to you in just a small snapshot, but some really vital points around burnout and how we can begin a process to change it. Thank you, Mary, for joining me. Thank you, Clarissa. It's my honor.